Welcome to the Nun Report, bringing your regular dose of truth, freedom, and weirdness with your host, Dan Nunn. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly interview edition of the Nun Report. This week we have a guy I met several years back when he was dating one of mine and my wife's friends. We had several great conversations, including around the Thanksgiving table. He immigrated from Cuba with his parents. He's a free market advocate and author. We'll cover a range of topics, including what communism is really like versus socialism, the value of a truly open free market economy, the Austrian School of Economics, the Restrict Act, and more. So let's get the show on the road and welcome libertarian and free market advocate Jorge Basada. Jorge, thanks for coming on today. I appreciate your time. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I really appreciate you getting out there and just fighting for freedom, spreading the right ideas, talking to people. I'm really happy to be on your show. Yeah, well, you know, we, I think everybody has a has a talent. Everybody can play a part in in spreading freedom and, in, and taking back or at least correcting the course of the country. I don't think we need to take anything back. It's our country. But um, but we do need to, I think, start to move in a different direction. I know, um, you know, your past and, and as we've talked in the past, you know, you were able to escape true communism. I mean, it was with your parents. I'm sure you were you were young and, and you know, you were just kind of going with your parents. and That's fine. Um, but, but I know that you you have a history there and you have some background there. Um, why don't you just give us a little bit on how that came to pass, how you remember what it was like and um, and how that's uh, developed, how you approach your American experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was born in Cuba. I was born in the heart of like communism, you know, the ideology, my family. I had a lot of family members that really bought into it. My grandfather from my mom's side, you know, he was young while the revolution was happening and he, he really believed in this stuff. And he named three of his kids after Lenin. I have an uncle named Vladimir, Ilyich and Yulianov. And uh, on my father's side of the family, my grandmother, who I have a lot more memories with her because she's the one that would pick me up from school and so on. She, too, was another hardcore communist believer. I mean, this woman really lived like the communist ethos. She was not religious. She was like a botanist. She even edited or co-wrote some like biology books in Cuba. And uh, I mean, it was all about like the science, no religion. And you're just supposed to be you know, good in mathematics, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And uh, so I really grew up in that. And I mean, to me, one of the many things I take away from this is that, I mean, these people weren't evil. You know, this really deals into you know, how we deal with these problems. You know, they were my family members. They just made a monumental error. And uh, like any good little communist, you know, I grew up idolizing the Soviet heroes like Yuri Gagarin, the first man in space. That was my hero growing up in Cuba. And uh, so, yeah, I really lived it. And I also have some memories of what it was like as far as like kind of like the poverty or the things that you just don't see in America. For example, in the 1980s, I left Cuba when I was seven years old, but I remember we still had ice trucks, okay? The way you keep your, you know, your stuff really cold would be an ice truck would come and we would deliver a big block of ice and you would break it up and put it in your fridge. And that's how you kept stuff like cold in many parts in Cuba, well into the 1980s, which I'm sure no one in the US was doing that at the time. And um, so in my story, like, Unlike most Cubans, you know, for a long time, the U.S. allowed any Cuban to come to the U.S. and you could just get your papers. We were very lucky in that sense. But my grandfather had left Cuba very early after the revolution. And, you know, there's a whole kind of warms there. My, my grandfather was good friends with Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro actually used to go to our house. And uh, but my grandfather left Cuba. He was teaching uh, like electrical engineering in Germany. And while the revolution was going on or soon afterwards, he actually came back to Cuba on a boat. 
And I'll, I'll tell a little like story. When he came back on the boat, he was speaking to the captain of the boat and the captain showed him a, a razor blade. And he told my grandfather, you see this razor blade here? The way things are going in Cuba, someday you guys are going to be fighting over simple stuff like this. And, uh, you know, it was very telling because my, my grandfather was like, oh, well, you know, nothing bad's going to happen. You know, Fidel Castro, I mean, at the time, nobody knew for sure that Castro was going to take Cuba into this hardcore communist direction. But I guess that captain was very wise and he told that to my grandfather. But anyway, my grandfather was very lucky. He was able to leave early on after the revolution. And since he made a good life in France and so on, my family's plan was to go live in France with him. And that's how I ended up living. When I was seven years old, I went to, to France with my mom. Mm. And uh, we weren't able to be legal there. You know, it's not like the U.S. If you could just come at the time. So we were there illegally, actually, for like maybe five months or something. And then we went to Spain. And me and my mother stayed there in Spain waiting for like two years. Uh, my father finally was able to leave Cuba because if you're an engineer like my dad was, they make it harder for you to leave. And uh, But eventually, you know, with enough paperwork and so on, he was able to get out. And another quick little story, once my father got out and he was in Panama, the way he got his visa to go from Panama to Spain was because my mom wrote a letter to the queen of Spain. You know, the, the kings and queens, you know, they got their little charities. Mm -hmm. My mom wrote a letter, oh, look, my husband's, you know, in Panama can, can become. And that's how we got the visas for my dad to come to Spain and we reunited in Spain. And then after about a year, an extra year in Spain, we were able to come to the U.S. And, uh, and I grew up in Miami, which is like Cuba 2.0. So that's right. kind of like uh, and um, so, so then, it, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. So you, uh, um, you know, the ice trucks, I assume that's because there was there was not uh, reliable refrigeration. Probably there were blackouts and things going on or, or oh, yeah, yeah. Like that? blackouts. We were used to blackouts. Just the economy is in shambles. And I'll get to that in a second. Why communism is such a disaster. But yeah, just the economy was always in, in shambles. And um, so once once I'm here in the U.S., you know, I grew up, you know, I went to college and so on. And then. In one of my first jobs out of out of college, I met a friend. His name is Ted. Hello, Ted. <laughs> and uh, he, like most people, you go to school. I never thought about politics or anything like that. But my friend Ted is someone that I really respected. He seemed to have read a book about everything. And one day he told me, hey, George, you should read this book. He recommended a book called The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins, who's a famous like biologist. And this is a book about how human nature affects like, like politics in a way. You know, why is it that you know, since human beings spend millions of years living in these little tribes, you know, and we evolved, you know, from like apes or whatever, that tells us a lot about our nature and it makes us susceptible you know, to certain things. So that was a very interesting book that got me interested in reading about human nature and so on. But the same friend, a few months later, he also changed my life by telling me to read a book called The Road to Serfdom by this economist, Friedrich Hayek, who won the Nobel Prize in Economics in 1974. And that book was written during the Second World War, trying to warn the British, okay, and letting them know, look, you guys, even though you guys hate communism and socialism and Nazism, you know, you guys are inadvertently, if you keep going along with this big government policies of having to share the wealth and all this socialist stuff, you guys are going to end up on the road to serfdom and you're going to end up slaves just like them. I know you think you got your democracy and you got your morals, but you keep going this route and you're going to be there. And Hayek ded dedicated the book to socialists of all parties, you know, just trying to have a nice dialogue. So my friend just kind of like changed my life. He got me interested in learning about human nature. And then he got me interested in learning about economics. And I'll finish that up quickly. At some point, you know, you have an election. 
again, I'm in my 20s. I know nothing about politics or anything. And by this time, Amazon.com was already kind of growing. So I went to Amazon.com and I said, you know, let me get a little book on economics because it, it looks like a lot of this just comes down to economics. And I found, you might have heard of him, I'm sure some of your audience, a great black conservative economist, Thomas Sowell. He wrote a little book called Basic Economics, A Citizen's Guide to the Economy. I love the title because I, I was not interested in reading some you know, complex mathematical thing. And that little book, you know, I, I learned something very important, the history of the famous inflation in Germany, the Weimar Republic. In the 1920s, they had so much inflation that prices were doubling like every day. People would get paid twice a day. They would get paid like in the afternoon so they could buy things before prices rose. And uh, so reading that book, even though it was the first like really good economics book that I read and I only understood like 10% of it, it got me to think like, wait a minute, sometimes the government experts can really mess things up. Therefore, me, with my history coming from communism, I, I really, to me, as part of an adult, I have to, I, I cannot go on with this ignorance. I have to understand economics. And once economics makes sense to me, you know, so that's really what got me down this path of like learning economics and, uh, and that kind of yeah, stuff. And you see, I mean, we've seen that recently in Venezuela. I mean, their money became worthless, right? Because of hyperinflation. And and you see, I mean, when you, it, that's one of the things that worries me about the U.S. is we're just, we're basically creating trillions of dollars. So we're putting much more money into circulation, chasing far fewer products. And then as a result, you end up with what we have, which is inflation, because your money is worth less. If you, if you uh, devalue the dollar enough, then you're going to have other countries saying, well, God, can we even depend on the American dollar? So um, it is kind of a, it seems like a precarious place we're in. I don't think we're, you know, in, uh, you know, deep shit yet. You know, I think we're definitely heading in that direction. Um, so give, I know you, you're, you're kind of a history buff too. And especially when it comes to, uh, you know, the, the, how, how communism really works and, you know, the, the history of, of how it came about, uh, for example, the Soviet Union and, and the, the Lenin's Bolshevik rev revolution and that sort of thing. Uh, you talk about, uh, you know, the stupidity and the chaos of the USSR and, and communist China because and now they're now they're teaming up together. Right. They're allies, which is one thing that we should have really at all costs tried to avoid. And it's like we walked right into it. Yeah. So. Let me give a little bit of the history of like, you know, the Soviet Union. And uh, I, I do want to preface this. I mean, I got to remind everything I'm going to be saying. If I, if I say anything that makes any sense, it's because I got lucky and I stumbled upon these men like Friedrich Hayek, who are known as the Austrian School of Economics. OK, just like you have Marxist and, you know, people, schools of thought with their ideas of how the world works. I mean, we're in this chaos because mankind has yet to figure it out. And I am one of the people who believe that this man, the Austrian School of Economics, they're the ones that explained everything. And, and everything I'm going to tell you about the history of the Soviet Union comes thanks to their like ideas and writings. So it's a lot easier to understand the history of the Soviet Union and communism. You know, how mankind, how so many people with good intentions fool themselves into this gigantic error. So the first thing we want to do is just really get an understanding for how the economy like kind of like really works. And uh, so this man, Friedrich Hayek, he actually wrote two very famous papers. Arguably, probably the most famous economic paper is one called The Use of Knowledge in Society. And he also wrote another paper called Competition as a Discovery Procedure. So I'm going to summarize a little bit like of their, of their wisdom. Now, to understand really how the world works, it's actually quite easy if you focus on information and order. For example, when it comes to the biological order, 
we already have a good understanding how the biological order works and the information that guides it. In high school, we learn about genetics, right? Genes can be seen as information. A mutation is new information that arises. And then you have competition or natural selection selecting those animals where the new information happen to do a little better than the others. And they have more offspring. And that's how the new genes make it onto further generations. And that's how the, that's the information that coordinates the biological order. Now, the social order is coordinated. The information that arises and spreads throughout society, that works thanks to economic competition. Okay? Economic competition is what turns the entire planet into a global supercomputer where every entrepreneur, every brain out there is constantly looking to innovate, to come up with something better. And very importantly, they're motivated to copy the innovations of competitors. For example, I have no idea who came up with power door locks and power windows. Let's just assume that it was a, a Honda engineer working in Tokyo. So he, so he comes up with a power door locks and power windows idea. And then since Honda has a better car, you have 8 billion human beings who use their freedom to only trade their wealth with the products that have the best ideas to suddenly withdraw money from Ford, Audi, BMW, and they start giving the money to Honda with the power door locks and power windows. But what does this do? Economic competition now motivates BMW in Germany, Ford in the US, Chevy in the US, and all these other companies to also copy the power door locks and power windows idea. So mm -hmm. it, it really helps if you just see it from high above. If you look at it from high above, like if you're looking at a Google map down, you can see how the information is constantly arising in the private sector and is being copied by competitors. And that is the mechanism that motivates the creation and the spread of knowledge in society that then reorders mankind into increasingly more technologically advanced states. So that is how the world works. That is how we got to where we are, thanks to economic competition. Now, economic competition only works thanks to freedom, right? It is the freedom yeah. of 8 billion brains to constantly be looking around and only give their order-sustaining wealth for the good ideas that motivates every one of us in our role as producers to do our best. And we can only do our best by innovating and copying the innovations of others. I mean, just look at what's going on right now with like Google and ChatGDP. I mean, Google, as successful as they are, right now, a new and um, potentially better idea with the ChatGPT, you know, everybody's heard about it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, why go to Google and start putting all these queries, you know, and trying to find all this information when you can just go to ChatGDP, you put your question, and it already, like, gives you the answer. So right there, competition is now, but we've seen the news, right? Microsoft, Google, everybody, Amazon is coming up with their own artificial intelligence-like thing. So again, competition turns the entire planet into a global supercomputer but it is the freedom of billions of human beings that creates this wonderful mechanism. And once you understand that, then it becomes a lot easier to understand why government. Government is a coercive, competition-immune, monopolistic bureaucracy that, oh, gets yeah. Its, yeah. Right, that gets its wealth not from doing as good as the competitors, but through taxes or inflation. You know, but I'm not going to get into that. So it doesn't have the pressures to constantly be learning and innovating. And that's why government just ends up consuming way more wealth than it produces. And it just shrinks the economic pie. I mean, the entire social order, every living thing, okay, whether it's a bacteria or a lion, a human being, or the entire economy is in a constant cycle of production. You know, you have to produce wealth, right? And consumption, we're constantly consuming. You have to eat energy and so on. And uh, if you produce more than you consume, you made a profit. 
A profit just means that you have increased the total amount of wealth that exists in society. If yeah, well, a- and, and and government government consumes far more than they produce. I mean, that would be my my opinion. I mean, look at how much they consume. I mean, we're my, my gosh, we're we're talking about. Uh, I mean, in this country, they're proposing six point eight trillion dollar budget that will that will put the national debt over fifty trillion dollars. In 10 years, I mean, we won't even be able to assuming that people will still loan us money, assuming that China will still give us money at that time. We won't even be able to pay the interest on that. And and you, and you bring up a good point. I mean, government exactly does not compete. They're, they have no they have no incentive or motivation to compete. And it's becoming uh, more and more locked in to where now you see them uh, colluding with corporations and um, and social media companies to to try to just uh, restrict everybody's access and everybody's um, flow of information to only what they want you to know. And that's uh, it, it almost seems like while it's not really communism in its true sense, it is definitely in the same family and it, and it, and it is is it's a slippery road we're going down because I think once, once you go so far, it's even possible to recover, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and government plans too, they require like coercion in order for the government to be able to do its wonderful plan, in order for Fauci, you know, to solve the great plan or whatever great leader you have, the people can't be free. The plans of the bureaucrats can only work if the people give it the taxes or they abide by the regulations. So all kinds of government central planning requires, you know, some kind of slavery. I mean, I'm not going to get into like, you know, but like public education, what does public education mean? Public education means that if you do not want to go along with the system, if you do not want to pay any taxes, you are a criminal. If you have another idea for educating kids or you want to do something else with your money, you are a criminal. I mean, that's what anything kind of like public. I mean, I'm a libertarian, so I'm for like, you know, privatizing a lot of stuff. So, you know, maybe my, that might be a bit too extreme. But the point, you know, to rehash what I just said is that we really want to understand the heart of things. How do you get information? The best information in society. You discover the best information through economic competition, which requires freedom. And the opposite of that, the, the great mistake of socialism and communism is to believe that you come up with the best information, not through freedom and competition, by, by just having the smartest people tell everybody else what to do. And that was a great error. And that is what all the liberals fall for. Oh, we just get the great experts from our great universities and Fauci's telling everybody else what to do. And that's going to be great. And if you don't want to go along with that, oh, then you don't want to share. You want to do something else. You know, you're a racist or whatever. But if you understand real freedom and economics and the history of what made civilization possible, you realize, no, 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 no. It's not the smartest. It is freedom and competition. The Soviet Union had a bunch of atheist scientists who were good at mathematics and they had other think tanks about the science and all this nonsense and they got crushed, okay, by Americans who believed in God, who believed we had God-given rights to freedom and to serve the customer, the customer's always right, and we crushed them, right? You know, everything that got made in the Soviet Union was a piece of shit compared to what Americans were doing in electronics, in everything. And, you know, obviously we're we're losing that. And... uh, I was I was astounded during the COVID hysteria, w- how quickly. I mean, I, I was. I mean, I, I really thought that there would be more pushback, but it's just how quickly they were able to get an entire nation 
and in essence, an entire world, really, to just fall in line with whatever they said. And of course, as we found out, much of what they were telling us was a lie. Much of what they were telling us was not true. And it was from uh, my one of, the, one of the things I look at, it's just a massive transfer of wealth from the American taxpayer to the big pharmaceuticals. And I mean, th- without liability, without um, without anything, then we find out, well, their vaccines don't work. Uh, there's there's a lot of vaccination injury that happens far more than they ever disclosed that they were lying about the number of deaths, that masks didn't work, that masks did work. But what I found was so when they said that we could take our masks off for a while, that was great. But then they said, oh, no, you know, a month later, you need to put them back on. And people did. And, and I swear to God, man, if, if I. I I bet if the government came out and said, you know what, there's a big outbreak coming. Everybody needs to put their masks back on. I'm scared to think of the number of people that really actually would. It's, it's, um, yeah. what happened? And, and it happened so dang quickly, too. You see the young people, um, the colleges are just churning out right now uh, a generation of, of liberal bots that um, just march along to their orders. And they actually, they want socialism. They think, they think, that's the answer that if government takes care of everything, then we'll just live in this wonderful utopia and, and sing Kumbaya. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. You know, COVID mania. I mean, one of the good things about it, I think is that it really has woken up so many of us, you know, to try to like do something. And it has also, to me, it has helped us realize how we're all equal in the sense that all human beings can just fall for this idiotic things. I mean, prior to COVID mania and this crazy Ukraine war, I think we Americans just live the standard life. We're like, well, we're used to some crazy inflation going on in Latin America. There's always some civil war going on in Africa. And, and we're thinking like, well, you know, we're in the civilized, you know, white European like world where crazy shit like this just doesn't happen. But mm-hmm. to see the Australians, you know, all of these people that usually you see civilization over there turn into these barbarians, you know, locking each other up as well. When you start seeing all these people around you, and it's like... How about oh, Shanghai, man? What went on in Shanghai? I mean, you expect that out of China, but when you start seeing that in places, like you said, Australia, it's like, whoa. Exactly, exactly. But it, it's a wake-up call. We have to be humble and realize that we are equally human. And just like people mm-hmm. in the Soviet Union, they fell for all of this great central planning. And if you don't want to go along with the experts, you know, you're evil. It's happening to us. We, COVID mania, I like to call it like communism. It's a Bolshevik communist revolution that just took over. And uh, we have to learn from history and, and these people. And uh, actually, let, let me quickly, I got like two minutes to like jump a little bit into the history of like the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. Yeah. So, I mean, if we look at having already discussed the vital role of freedom, right? The more freedom, the more competition and the better the spread of superior ideas we have. So it's very easy. Once you understand that the more freedom leads to more technological advancement and civilization, then with those lenses, you can just look back at history and you can see, okay, whatever freedom increased, suddenly we got more prosperity. And that's what we're going to do very quickly. So, for example, by the, by the 1500s in Europe, the entire European social order was, was very like coercive. You had the Catholic Church at the time. Everybody was doing what the church wanted. You were born in a particular place. We were serfs. You know, there wasn't that much freedom. The Catholic Church had a total monopoly, right? But then someone like Martin Luther came along. And Martin mm-hmm. Luther had a, a different reinterpretation. He was like, wait a minute. You do not necessarily have to give indulgences to the church. You know, you, you can be saved by reading the Bible, by accepting Jesus, by, by doing things. So his revolution, his famous 95 Thesis, the, the Protestant Revolution, it broke up the coercive monopoly power of the Catholic Church at the time and suddenly brought more freedom 
to people. Now, you didn't have to live in the same place because now if you're a Christian and you believe in God and you're the Bible and you're doing what, what and you accept Christ, you're going to be saved. You're a good person. You do not necessarily have to do what the church does. So that inadvertently increased the amount of freedom that suddenly Europeans had. And that helped eventually evolve the legal framework that allowed capitalism, right? Because capitalism is just freedom. You go out there, instead of producing for, for the Lord and for the local church, people change. They say, oh, I can produce things for mass consumption. I can sell this to my neighbor. I can sell this to someone else. I had a lot more freedom. So that change is one of the many cultural changes that inadvertently created the legal framework that led to the business culture that we call capitalism. And once you got capitalism, then you have freedom. You had people coming up with ideas, the industrial revolution, we have people coming to the United States where you didn't have to give your money to whatever local you know, church or bureaucracy and you, and you had the freedom to do all these things. But then what happened? As freedom was creating all of this complexity, you had millions of people moving to the cities. The cities were becoming very complex. You had some people, some entrepreneurs and some businessmen getting very rich while some people, some children had to work in the factories and so on, you know, being very poor. And that created a certain resentment. And also the complexity of the social order, it was so complex, nobody really understood it. So when you have all this complexity, the idea that, wait a minute, freedom and capitalism just leads to this complexity, we need to have a rational, planned order. Instead of having capitalism and having all these businessmen get rich, what we need is to have the experts tell everybody else what to do, and we're going to redistribute the profits, and it's going to be hunky-dory. Right. And that is the mythology of socialism started spreading and spreading and spreading through many minds. And it really was just a battle of ideas. There were a lot of people who were doing a good job of explaining freedom. But eventually someone like Karl Marx put all the little fallacies into a little book called the Communist Manifesto. And what does the Communist Manifesto say? What is communism about? It says it in the Communist Manifesto. Abolishment of private property. Abolishment of the family. But what happens? If you abolish private property, it is thanks to the fact that we have private property, that I own my stuff, that then from private property gets the freedom to trade. And it is the freedom to trade for what we think is best that turns on this wonderful mechanism that I described before about com competitive knowledge discovery. So by taking out private property, you destroy economic competition and you destroy the very mechanism that was creating yeah. all this prosperity. So unfortunately, the slightly smarter apes ate it up. You know, Lenin, oh yeah, we're gonna share the wealth, capitalism is bad. Unfortunately, those bad ideas spread through Russia and they had their Bolshevik revolution and then they started spreading all of this nonsense all over the world. And sadly, it was really a battle of ideas. A lot of people bought into it. They had their communist revolutions and they paid the price. And uh, then well, well, actually, I mean, it, it sounds good, right? I mean, and, and if you're just listening to it, it's like, wow, we can all just kind of have our thing. But, but as we know, you know, man is is depraved. I mean, man is uh, is 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 bad. I mean, when you when you give us power, uh, we've proven throughout history that once uh, a, a certain segment of society has too much power, it's then used to suppress the people. It's it, history. You just have to look back. It's happened over and over and over again. Um, it, it's happening here. It's interesting you brought up Martin Luther in that, um, you know, I think people forget that this country, you know, that the, the kids nowadays and the, the, the liberals, I say that this is not a this is not a religious country. This is not a Christian nation bullshit. It, this, this country was founded on the principles. They were fleeing a religion, op religious oppression 
and overtaxation. Those two things primarily is what led to the foundation of this country and their rebellion against England and and the crown. You know, I mean, that was a big deal back then. They're, they're rebelling against the crown. Nobody did that, right? Um, but but Americans did. The founding fathers did. And sure, there, there's flaws and, and, and there's flaws in capitalism for sure. Um, it's not the way it is uh, evolved over time. It's not really a, a fully true uh, free market uh, system, but but it but it's better than a lot of other stuff that's out there, right? No, yeah, yeah, and and our you know our Christian values were really the main one of the main bulwarks against communism, right? You know, communism was atheist experts, and you know the, it it was horrible. Right, the Soviet Union they ended up shooting you know thousands of priests, and it was really you know religion and this God. You cannot have communism if you have God given rights to freedom. Right. Because the plans of the experts require coercing everyone to go along. Right. You cannot have a master plan work if the people are free to say, you know what, I don't want to fund it with my taxes and I don't want to do what the experts say. So, again, communism and freedom are, you know, they're irreconcilable. And if you yeah, believe right. in God and you believe that people have God given rights to live life as they wish, as long as, of course, you know, they don't violate the Ten Commandments or steal or do something bad to others, then those two things are they're not compatible. And, and America's Christian traditions, you know, played a leading role in, in helping the United States not be swallowed by the communist uh, nonsense. Yeah. 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 You know, one of the things that, um, that you see, you know, the, the, um, using economic influence, um, rather than basically being the bully in some ways, I mean, China is, is no example of a free economy, but they have understood that they can project more influence throughout the world through through the economy and through getting involved in the economies of, I mean, they own a large chunk of the United States. They own a ton of our debt. And through that, they're able to influence our policies and, and our production even and a, and a lot of things. And they're doing this throughout the world. Meanwhile, the U.S. is going around fighting wars that we can't afford, fighting wars against countries that, that do have no direct impact on, on our national security, or they're no threat to us. Um, Ukraine's a great example. That's a deep dive that is a completely different show that we could go into someday, maybe in the future. Um, Cause I know you've got a lot to say on that. And, but it's just the U S has, um, you know, the police of the world, the, the strong man of the world, we're basically fucking bullies and look where it's gotten us. We're in financial straits. We're dumping, hundreds of billions of dollars into a proxy war against Russia, filling the military industrial complex coffers over here. Meanwhile, China is just laughing their ass off all the way to the bank. Their economy is growing right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's just reflective of, of the ignorance of history. I mean, Americans, every American should really understand a little bit of this history. You know, what, what capitalism it's, it's shameful that in the United States, the country where everybody should know what capitalism is, how we were able to outproduce and do so much better than the Soviet Union. It's sad that for a lot of people, capitalism is like a dirty word. And uh, that the Chinese actually learned a little bit of their lesson. The Chinese were some of the people who also bought into the disastrous ideology really hard. They had massive famines, Mao, but then Deng Xiaoping came in the 1970s and this guy did, did something big. They said, you know what? Oops, we made a mistake. 
free markets and capitalism and, and competition is the way to really create prosperity. And they turned it around. I mean, China now, they are a communist country in the sense that they have this monolithic government that, you know, they don't have like elections like we do with multiple parties. Mm -hmm. But as far as their economy, they're actually moving in the direction of free trade and real capitalism. In China now, you can have businesses, you can have private property, you have differences in wealth and so on. And, and you have the rule of law to various degrees. And it's an embarrassment that we in the United States, we're going the opposite direction, right? Yeah. We want democratic socialism and, and Fauci running the whole economy and all these things. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's a disaster. <laughs> Yeah, well, I hope that Fauci one day has to answer for some of the things that he's done. Um, and you look at uh, uh, yeah, what China is doing. It's uh, and people are starting to trade in the trade in the yuan. I mean, that the U.S. petrodollar is like I said, because of our inflation, because of where we're at debt wise, people are really questioning. You know, can we really trust the U.S. dollar anymore? And um, you know, you have Saudi Arabia and Brazil now, and and some of some countries that used to be very much aligned with the West are now leaning toward China, and they're actually making oil transactions in the yuan, and um, that's uh, that's no small thing because if if the American dollar collapses, if if the central bank collapses here, um, we're done. I don't think people get it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and. Uh... I mean, I hope it's like a, a like a smooth transition. And this is a wake up call to Americans that we need to go back and being like Americans and focus on business or on good relations with everyone. We again, we have bankrupted ourselves with all of these ridiculous wars. Uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., you know, who just announced that he's going to be running for president, he recently came up with a great tweet and and he said that look, during all these years, we've blown like eight trillion dollars bombing bridges bombing places in Africa, in the Middle East, you know, while the Chinese have been using their diplomacy, you know, to give loans and, and build roads and that kind of stuff. So again, I mean, I'm not a fan of the Chinese government. We can go on, yeah. you know, about that. Yep. You know, they are, it's another disastrous bureaucracy. And just look at what they even did with COVID mania. I mean, the insane lockdowns they had over there. But again, had Fauci been the total dictator of the United States, if we didn't have competition among states, if we didn't have the Santis over here, and Fauci was the dictator of the country, it would have been just as tyrannical as what the Chinese did to their own people. So, so we're lucky that in the United States, at least we have this 50 independent states that allows us to have competition, right? True, we true. Want... And it will take it would take a lot to bring that down. I mean, to, yeah. to, to completely collapse it. I mean, I, I think you're right. I think we there's enough um, strong... Uh, you know, capitalists here for, for lack of a better term, because that's kind of what, what we are. Um, and, and, and people who, you know, believe in God that, that I think, uh, I don't think it's lost. I mean, I, I'm, I'm long on America. I, I listen to Dan Bongino yeah. a lot. He says that all the time. He says, I'm long on America, man. We're going through a tough stretch right now, but, um, but in the end, you know, big picture, I think, I think, I think we're going to be fine. Um, if we can, let's shift gears here a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you follow what's going on with the thing coming out called the Restrict Act, but it's um, basically they're trying to get rid of TikTok. That's the that's the Trojan horse they're using, I believe, to gain control of social media and what ultimately is allowed to be um, said on the internet and online uh, amongst free people. It seems much like the Patriot Act um, that it's ripe for i mean we see what's happened since the patriot act right and it's still they keep renewing it they keep renewing it every year and they keep taking away more and more freedoms i mean i remember when you could walk into an airport just 
walk straight through a metal detector and get on your plane and your family could wave goodbye to you. Right. And, and now we have COVID and your family can't even come see you die in the hospital. Um, and this has happened in, in, as, as far as history goes in, in a super short period of time. I mean, in the blink of an eye, right. Just, you know, in a few decades and, um, not even that a couple of decades, 24 years since the Patriot act. And, uh, so what do you what do you think about the the restrict act? I, I think its name says it all, right? It's there to restrict yeah. us. Yeah, I mean it's awful, but it's also it's important to realize that that we're human beings like everyone else. Everybody falls for this idea that eventually there's some bad guys out there, and we have to prevent the bad guys from telling us bad things and try to manipulate us. And everybody falls for it, and and we're just falling for it as well. I mean, pretty soon, what what we need? Like, I would love to. For example, I have some friends that are in Russia. When I, when I was there in Washington, I worked at Microsoft and I worked with a team of people who were in Russia. And now because of the war and because of all these sanctions and all these things, these people cannot even work from Russia. The people that I used to work for, work with, now they have to go to Serbia so they can legally work for Microsoft. And uh, if, if we're going to have peace, on the contrary, we want to talk to our Russian friends. We want to have a website where maybe we can get some Russian military personnel to talk to American personnel. We want to have interactions. But the tribalistic horde of morons that moves to the upper layers of government is like, mm -hmm. oh, you're talking to the enemy. You know, you are a traitor, you know, for interacting with, with a Russian agent. And and this is just this is just humanity. This is happening to us right in front of us. I mean, we, we cannot. We cannot fall for this nonsense. We have to realize that we're all, if you believe in God, if you, in the Christian tradition, we're all made in God's image, you know? So if there's something going on, you know, we need to work it out. The solution is never to just go for this mass, oh, they're the bad guys, I'm going to blow each other up. You know, that's not what we want to yeah. have. And if you're a Darwinian, then you realize that we're all part of the same species. So when yeah, I mean, I mean, if yeah. you oppose, if you oppose the Ukraine war, they call you a Putin sympathizer. No, I don't support Putin. He's a, he's a he's a bad man. I mean, the guy's an asshole, right? But but just because I oppose hundreds of thousands of people dying in a needless war in Ukraine to line the pockets of all the leadership over there and over here, um, that makes me a Putin sympathizer. I don't think so. But and that's the tribal mentality that you get on. It's a um, the somebody. Uh, uh, oh, I wish I could remember the doctor's name. Uh, during COVID, you know, is, is mass formation psychosis oh, yeah. and, and how people just fall in line and the media um, just just perpetuates it. It's it's the legacy media in this country. This is why I listen to podcasts. This is why I go on Twitter. This is why I search out, uh, why I watch a lot of foreign news sources, because I don't trust anything I hear from the legacy media here in the United States. It's good to know your enemy. And so I listen to it because of that. And so that I have topics for my show to talk on, but I get most of my information from sources that I seek out and choose to listen to that are independent of, you know, the, the, the Murdoch's and the, the NBC's and the CBS's and the MSNBC's and all those people, you know, because that's, if you, if you're not willing to at least put forth the effort and make the effort to do something like that, and you're just going to march along with the masses, man, that's going to lead to destruction, you know? Yeah, Tucker Carlson is great. I really like him. Yeah, uh, he is. He he has a great delivery, man. And the, the guys, and he's a pro too, man. I mean, he um, there's a reason why he is the the number one uh, talk show in the country, and it's not even close. It's not even close. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, 
I know that uh, just from talking to you in the past, I know you're not a, a you're not a big Trumper. You know, you're not a big Trump fan or, or a MAGA guy. I mean, I think you believe in a lot of the principles and stuff. Um, what what are your thoughts on on? I mean, I see it as a political persecution. What's going on is if you have one party that's decided, you know what, we're taking out our opposition. This is the kind of shit you see in third world countries. This is the kind of stuff you yeah. you saw in Cuba. This is the type of thing you saw in Venezuela just recently. And um, and, and Brazil, even very recently, you see this. And then once your political opponent, opponent is out of office and you throw them in jail, right? Yeah, that, yeah. What, what in the world is going on here, man? Yeah, again, we're human beings like everyone else, and we're seeing the just the collapse in in, in morality, in, in legality. I mean, I I like Trump. I think Trump is a nice guy. I mean, I I think he's someone who cares about America. He he gladly like died to make a difference, you know, for America. Oh, he's a he's a he's a patriot, dude. He yeah. will walk through fire. I mean, yeah. he has walked through fire, and his family too, right? Yeah. So, yeah. All this nonsense. I mean, I remember the locker room talk, grabbing by the pussy or whatever. I mean, big deal. He's a human being. But I think he cares about America. And as far as like Trump being some like immoral person, because, you know, the leftists love to throw that at you. I was like, has there actually been like any pictures of him being unfaithful to his wife like in the last 30 years? I I think he ends up he's probably even more moral than your average American. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised as far as this normal stuff. So, again, me personally, I think Trump is like a nice guy who cares about America, but I, I do find him, I, I don't think he understands the economy as well as he should. You know, I, I think it's some of his policies. Right. Yes, but but that's just economic ignorance. You know, I can't blame anyone for that. And he, well, did, surround, he did surround himself with some, just some, a lot of bad advisors. You know? Yeah, he, like, he really, I don't think he understood the depths of the swamp. You know, we talked about draining the swamp and that's a good thing, yeah. but I don't think he fully understood just how deep he was. And he, he also kept, he kept some people on uh, and then some advisors in positions and in leadership positions, including the FBI and, and the CIA and, and some really powerful intelligence organizations that that were part of the problem. I mean, they're part yeah. of uh, spreading the propaganda and part of the you know different uh, false flag events that have happened over the years and that to steer American influence and American, uh, I think, opinion in the direction that they want to go. I mean, the CIA is famous for that sort of thing. It's no secret. They try to think it's a secret, but it's not. Um, Trump, they've been, they've been after him. Let's not forget that the COVID mania happened under his watch. He's the one that allowed Fauci and his experts to just bulldoze him over. I mean, had had Trump just talked to Rand Paul? I mean, everyone who was really involved in Republican politics knows who Rand Paul is, right? He was a presidential candidate. And Rand Paul is a doctor. He wrote a great book that I recommend people read. He wrote a book on Amazon about socialism. Mm-hmm. And, and doc, Rand Paul is a doctor. Had Trump just talked to Rand Paul, Rand Paul would have prevented him from just going along with the experts. But, you know, he surrounded himself with some people. And he's the one that allowed this. He's the one that allowed the, the printing of trillions of dollars by the Federal Reserve. And I also recently read Jared Kushner's. Uh, he wrote a little biography. I, re- and, I read it, too. I read this, it as well. All of this happened under the Trump watch so again a nice guy with yeah. good intentions that again if you don't really understand freedom you let these things happen so i, I hope he turns it around i hope yeah. so too i mean i, I think um i mean I, I hope he learned it he seems like the kind of guy that's not apt to repeat his mistakes i mean he's had a pretty successful life right so um that doesn't happen by accident it, it happens and, and while he may never admit that he's wrong i think that he internalizes it and he figures it out and then comes out fighting another way um i mean operation warp speed 
one of his hugest mistakes, that whole vaccine rollout and forcing everybody to, to go out there. And but at the same time, I mean, he had, he had so-called, you know, experts. He was, he was outside of his realm. He didn't, he was outside of his place of knowledge and he was being told, look, if you don't do something, 2 million Americans will die. Right. Right. And, right. He, yeah. and, and they're going to die on your watch. And, he, you know, yeah. he, I mean, tough calls, man. I don't think yeah. no, there's not a, a person out there that's ready to be president of the United States. Not right. one until that, you're there. I don't blame him. You know, I, I don't blame him. Yeah. He just, a lot of people with good intentions just end up making mistakes and he made mistakes. There. Yeah. I hope he can live up to it. I, I hope he yeah. gives DeSantis some credit. DeSantis actually got some experts. You know, a lot of people know this. DeSantis got some experts who were against the COVID mania and he managed mm -hmm. to keep Florida free and so on. So you got to give some credit to DeSantis. He really stood up to the COVID mania and so on. And, uh, you know. Yeah, 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 definitely. And, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, I mean, ultimately, if I had my if I had uh, if I could choose if, if Dan could say this is what I, this is what's going to happen and it would be is I would have Trump become president in 2024 and then I would have DeSantis become president for eight years following that in 2028. And, and this is why is I think um, DeSantis has done great stuff in Florida and I think Florida still needs him for a little while. To, to, to strengthen the hold uh, and, and make it a really, really solid red state. But also, um, he's working with a uh, – he has no opposition. I mean, he has the – re the Republican Party has – and the conservative end of the Republican Party is – dominates every every facet of government in Florida. So basically, they can do whatever they want. Yeah. That's not going to happen when you're in the White House. That, that's a completely different level, and and you do have opposition. You do have people that you need to work with. And if you're fighting a, a House or a Senate that is not of the same party, or even one that is of the same party, I mean, we had Paul Ryan running the House of Representatives when Trump was elected, and the guy was worthless. He fought Trump every step of the way. So much more could have gotten done for this country. Um, anyway, I was uh, I was back in Washington D.C. here a couple of weeks ago. There's a few weeks ago now, and after dinner, after the, the event, and then after dinner one night, we decided to go down to the uh, J6 Gulag. And there's a, a place behind the prison where people gather, including Ashley Babbitt's mom. And at 9 o'clock sharp, they sing the national anthem. And they do this every day. And sometimes there's a couple hundred people. Sometimes there's only a couple of dozen. But the prisoners' windows are on that side of the prison. And when people start singing the national anthem, the prisoners will block out their lights with their with blankets to show that they hear them and that they appreciate it. And we participated in that. It was it was very moving, moving. It was touching. I think that these people are they're, they're being held. You know, they, they've been labeled domestic terrorists. So therefore, they can be held without bail, without due process, no speedy trial or anything like that. This is, again, something you see in third world countries. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's. Everybody should know this, uh, but again, we're just we're falling for another banana republic type stuff. It's sad, but again, we're equally human. People have to learn that we're equally human, susceptible to the same disasters, and that's why we have to use whatever freedom we have left, because it only gets harder, right? Once you lose more freedom, it's going to get harder for those of us to reunite and try to create a beacon that can turn this thing around. And sadly, if you look at history, usually you just have to wait for the collapse to happen, and hopefully we can turn it around you know, before we get to that stage. But I mean, we really have to use whatever freedom we have. And, and yeah, it, it's banana republic stuff. And it's good that people are bringing attention to this January 6th stuff because it, it's really shocking how it is, how so many people, like you said, they're being held there without trial for having done nothing. And we even have the video footage, 
you know, that these people mm-hmm. did nothing. And Americans are just going along like if nothing is happening. It's just. Yeah, like it's the worst thing in history, you know. And yeah. um, and then you have, you know, you had the summer of love in 2020 where they were burning down cities and that was okay. Nowadays you have, uh, you know, the trans activists who are assaulting people on the oh, streets. Yeah. They don't agree with them. It's perfectly fine. As long as you're a dude pretending to be a, women, a woman, you can beat up anybody you want. And there's no repercussions or consequences at all. It's insane. Um, but that's evil, right? I mean, uh, evil does exist. And I believe that demons exist. And I think that it's manifesting itself in a way that, um, you know, that you would expect. And uh, hopefully, as you said, we can overcome it. Um, we got to start wrapping up here. But I did want to cover, touch on one thing. You know, your, 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 your family immigrated here. Um, you're, you're well-traveled. As you said, you spent time in, in Spain and uh, in, in different places. You have friends throughout the world that I know that you've communicated with um, through, your, through your work and in your social life, what we have going on on the Southern border. And, and I think that a lot of people mistake conservatives position as we want, we don't want any immigration at all. That, that's not true. We, I do. I mean, I think immigration is, is vitally important to this country. And I think diversity is a good thing, but it can't be unchecked. It, it's like the, uh, when, when, when people were flooding in from from Cuba, since you're familiar with that, a lot of the criminal element came in too because Castro released all the prison, all the all the all the uh, people from prison, right, and and sent them off to America on boats. A lot of them ended up in refugee camps here, and the the cocaine trade and and uh, I mean Scarface. I mean, there's a reason that movie was made, right? Um, so, uh, but if the southern border somehow needs to be secured, there needs to be some sort of of uh, of of method there and we have a legal method for immigration but it seems like the democrats just want to ignore it and let everybody in and the gotaways i mean there, there are literally hundreds of thousands of people crossing the border we have no idea who they are where they're coming from what their intentions are and we don't know where in the country they are right now either um what are your thoughts on that well i i mean the way things are right now you know when when Immigrants could come in and then you got the leftists telling you that everything is the white man's fault and you get free education, free this. I mean, pretty soon people are just going to come in here and you have a right to free everything, get your own sex change operation, change by whoever's here. You know, so that sort of madness, you know, you, you cannot have a lot of immigration with a welfare state that is just bankrupting the economy, you know, by having just people, you know, come over. And uh, but I mean, I, I, I just think that if the economy ran a little differently, you know, it, it wouldn't be the problem that it could, you know, potentially be. I, I don't see like the immigration problem being like that that big. You know, I, I do, I do wish we had some legal way of, you know, of making things like smoother. And uh, but I just I don't see it as that. I'm not like as concerned about it. It is true, and a lot of the crimes that we do get from the immigration stuff is because of the war on drugs. And I'm a libertarian. If we didn't, if we legalized all the drugs, then the drugs would be cheap. They would be made by the pharmaceutical companies, and uh, you would starve out all the money that goes to the drug cartels. So then the drug cartels wouldn't get all this money with which to terrorize their own countries, and we wouldn't have all this stuff. So if if you legalize drugs, then the drug problem would go away. So I have a different, you know, kind of like way of looking mm-hmm. at at that. And yeah, I know me, I know the libertarian viewpoint on that for sure. I mean, uh, you know, Rand yeah. and, and Ron Paul talk about that a lot, and um, and, and and there's des- definitely an argument to be made. I mean, if you have safe pharmaceuticals, I mean, people are 
going to take them drugs anyway. They can take deadly fentanyl that is killing tens, hundreds of thousands of Americans. Exactly. Or, or they can be on safe pharmaceutical grade uh, regulated drugs. I, I can I can understand that argument. It's not one that I would personally make, but um, but I, I do get it and and I appreciate it for sure. Um, the uh, I also do believe that in the in the future. I mean, I, I would like to think that a hundred years from now. I mean, I do believe that we will have like private corporations that can buy a big chunk of land and design their own city, you know, with their own network of railroads and transportation. Trump I mean, is what? talking about Trump is talking about doing that for his his part of his campaign is building new cities, brand new oh, cities from scratch. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. yeah. So it, I, I would like to think that 100 years from now, everybody is civilized. Everybody respects freedom and capitalism. And, uh, you know, because freedom, freedom not only leads to the competition of ideas, which is what creates the best products and everything, but it also shapes our morals. It is hardworking, courteous, tolerant people who treat everyone with respect, regardless of age, sex, religion, and so on, that through competition, they force everyone else to be likewise. This is why Americans have evolved the classic American character, where you're a hardworking person, you have a reputation, you're known for being honest and a business person and so on. And that character, that American character, was built through freedom. There was a time when we, when we had the Statue of Liberty and we even had open borders at the time. And people were coming with their own ethnocentric ways, you know, from Germany, you had Jews, you had people from all over the world coming. But within one generation, everybody wore a business suit, the customer's always right, and I am known for being a responsible person. And what built that mm -hmm. was freedom. So, I mean, I, I would like to think that someday in the future, you know, we will be able to travel everywhere in the world and, and live anywhere in the world. And we will just have a bunch of nice, cool, respectable people. I mean, I don't think we're there right now. I mean, I am yeah. not for just like dropping the border immediately. And then we just bankrupt ourselves, you know, by giving everybody freebies. I mean, I don't think that, that we can do that right now. But I'm hopeful that in the future... You know, we would have a yeah. world like that, and and we'll be we'll be dead, and um, you know, we're not going to get to see it. That's the one thing that I regret about you know having a limited time on Earth is, but you know, and I think there's a better place as well when we're done here. But um, is is that we won't get to see some of the things that happen because I I, I really I, I want to see interstellar interstellar travel. I mean, I think that'd be cool as hell, right? I want to see um, you know a world living in, in peace with flying cars and and um, you know, uh, a Star Trek type utopia. I mean, that would be cool. Uh, it would be the Federation of Earth instead of a bunch of individual states and and people here. But um, tell before we close up here, um, LibertySpeaks.world. Um, I've got it up on the screen there. And, and what is what is LibertySpeaks.world? Okay, thanks. Uh, so that is an organization that I created with my friend, Dr. Irene Mavrakakis. So we're just a, a freedom-oriented organization. We had an event in October of last year, where we invited, you know, speakers to come talk about economics, about history, about medicine. Dr. Mavrakakis is, is a doctor that stood up to the COVID mania calamity. So again, we're just a small organization. We, we write little articles. We, we publish short little books. I definitely suggest people go to libertyspeaks.world. We have a little book, uh, Less Marks, More Mises where I, we give this little explanation that we talked about, about economics and who the members of the Austrian school are. You can listen mm -hmm. to it for free if you go to the website. Something else we have on the website, I definitely suggest people check out. I mentioned earlier the book, The Road to Serfdom by Friedrich Hayek. You know, So that book 
it's actually very important because that book, just like the Communist Manifesto, was a short little book that helped spread the wrong ideas very quickly. Hayek's The Road to Serfdom did the same thing, but with the ideas of freedom. So in 1945, Hayek wrote that book. But very importantly, some friends of Hayek, they took the book and they created a condensed version, a version that was only 40 mm -hmm. pages long. And that was sent to millions of homes in America in the, in the 1940s. And then that little book explained freedom to people and it educated an entire generation of freedom fighters. For example, a lot of people don't know this, but Ron Paul. Ron Paul was a medical student at Duke University in the 1950s when he read that book. And that is what got him to understand freedom. And then Ron Paul became a great champion of freedom. And his son, Rand Paul, Margaret Thatcher, the great British conservative prime minister. She was an 18-year-old student at Oxford when she read The Road to Serfdom. So at Liberty Speaks, we have the audio okay. version of the condensed version of The Road to Serfdom. So we, it's just an organization, the two of us. We're out there spreading the word however we can. And, uh, you know, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, the little little treatises like that are great. I mean, Martin Luther did them. Uh, Calvin uh, uh, did them. You know, with the five points of Calvinism. If you look at uh, different things throughout history in the in the Reformation period, in particular, uh, you know, it, it, you can get so much more out if it's condensed like that, and people wow. will actually read it. You know, they're not going to get get this big daunting, you know, six hundred page volume of information wow. that that's that scary. I mean, it's like reading. Uh, uh, you know, world war books or whatever. It's like, man, this is, this is just too much. I'm not going to do it. I, yeah. I mean, pers personally I do because I, I'm a, I'm a, I, I'm a bibliophile. I mean, I love, love reading and I read a lot. Um, I probably read 150 books a year, but, um, but most people don't, right? We don't need everyone to, to read all these treatises. We just need people to understand enough freedom, you know, for them to defend it. So that we don't yeah. have these government bureaucracies. And for that, we don't need to read a treatise. We can get by with simple things. Yep, 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 for sure, for sure. Jorge, it's been great to have you on. Um, again, it's uh, libertyspeaks.world. Um, and then uh, it's on Twitter at Haikian. Uh, that's H-A-Y-E-K-I-A-N. Uh, thanks again for having you on there. All right. Thanks, Dan. It was great doing this with you. I look forward to doing it again. And uh, maybe I'll see you when I travel up there again in person soon. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Give me a call. Yeah. Hey, uh, so, hey, thanks thanks for watching. This has been The Nun Report. If you've just been uh, listening on the radio or any of the podcast channels, make sure to go to rumble.com slash The Nun Report. That's where you can catch all the video and everything that's up here. I'm also on all the socials at The Nun Report, except for TikTok, because I don't do that commie BS. Or just go to my website, thenunreport.com. You can catch everything all in one place, one stop, one shop. It's easy peasy. Hey, thanks again for watching. And as always, until next time, may the odds be ever in your favor. Cheers.